You're listening to Married to the Ministry, which is part of the Love Worth Finding podcast network. If you are a pastor's wife looking for encouragement or for practical wisdom on how to manage all the challenges of your role with a smile on your face, we're so glad you're here. This is your host, Janet Addison, and I'd like to help you embrace truth and delight in your ministry life. I've just made some yummy hot tea, so why don't you grab a cup and let's chat for a while. Hey, y'all, and thanks for joining me again today as we talk about being married to the ministry. I've invited my husband, Greg, to share the mic with me today, so welcome, honey. Hey, sweetheart. Hello, ladies. Greg has pastored three churches, and we're currently serving at First Baptist Church in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And before that, he served almost 10 years with the Southern Baptist Convention in Arkansas and Nashville, Tennessee. But he began ministry as a staff pastor at Adrian Rogers Church in Memphis. And uh, you had several several roles in that job. Why don't you just talk a little bit about, about being on staff at, at that church. Kind of interesting uh, for me because uh, I grew up there. He came when I was seven and a half. I was saved when I was nine and a half. I was a deacon. We got married there. So it was interesting. I, I went from a secular career onto the staff. And in that, my first role was minister to men and new members. And so I did intake and new member class and all that. We did men's ministry events. And then about two years into that, I became the singles pastor. And so served a little over four years of our six years on staff there as a singles pastor. Well, and I know the singles ministry had had really been struggling and dwindling and, you know, it was kind of, it was kind of dead. And, uh, I remember somebody you said came into your office and said, "Did they make you take that apartment?" <laughs> and you said, "Somebody no. asked me if I'd gotten in trouble." Yes, yes. <laughs> but it was such excellent training ground. Little did we know that God would always call you to churches that that were were broken and <laughs> in in dire straits like that singles ministry was, and that's where you learned how to rebuild and grow you know, congregations and organizations from the ground up. It is. And it was great because we had a great run as singles pastor. It was a wonderful time in ministry. And it also taught me and taught us there is incredible fruit and grace in revitalizing and healing. And that gives you a lot of hope when you go into that journey because you have the testimony. Look what God does when he rebuilds. Look what he does when he acts. And so going into churches that have had those experiences as well and we pastor them, we bring in that hope and confidence and excitement about here's what God can do and then he does it and you see this incredible fruit so so it was a great yeah. experience yeah we sh- we should have t-shirts made we have been there and done that and watched <laughs> God do that numerous times but yep. little did we know i think we've said that singles min- that that was the funnest season of ministry that we've ever <laughs> that we've ever had it, we kind of peaked awesome. with the first and uh <laughs> Yeah, we it didn't was know great. That, that was that was the best it was ever going to be. <laughs> well, today I thought it just would be interesting to have a little question and answer time about how being in the ministry has affected our marriage and in general impacts couples when they are serving together in ministry. We have the unique experience that we were married before you were in ministry. We were married almost 9 years before you 
answered the call to preach. And in those years, you were working full time at a, you know, building a law career. So you were working hard, long hours, um, you know, 45 minute commute each way. Uh, The babies were young. And then you were also a deacon and you were also a Sunday school teacher and you were also on committees, you know, so. You're making um, me tired just describing that. Well, it it was very tiring. (laughs) And I remember feeling slight bits of resentment back in those days, you know, just because you spent a lot of time serving at church and mm-hmm. you spent a lot of time working. Uh, I guess you just really didn't spend a lot of time sleeping <laughs> because, <laughs> because you were also, you know, very I was younger. I was more spry, more energy. It's true. I guess. But I guess my question for you is, especially for, for ministry wives who really ministry life is all they know, t- talk a little bit about that workload, ministry life balance when you weren't full-time employed in ministry, you know, when you were a lay leader compared to when you have been full-time in ministry? I think it's great because it has greatly helped our ministry, I believe, having been laymen and pastoring laymen because we sat in their seats. Our family had this experience of uh, working 50, 55 hours, 60 hours a week, teaching Sunday school, say, I don't prepping think that I know if you still haven't got there. <laughs> <laughs> well, lawyers are interesting because we had to bill our time and all you have is billing your time. So it, it's, it ends up being a lot of hours. But uh, So we understand that. So every person who comes and serves in our church who is a Sunday school teacher worked for 45 or 50 hours before they started writing their lesson before they started having fellowships with their Sunday school class, before they started counseling with people. And so as I approach ministry, uh, we are able to approach that with a great deal of sensitivity to the amount of time they spend uh, and to the sacrifice they're making to serve. And so we try to serve them the way that I would have wanted to be served when I was a layman with a career serving on top of that. We try to balance the amount of time. I try to keep people and teach them, don't serve too much, don't uh, don't take too many jobs, I try to spread the jobs around the church because you understand that they are working after their uh, work hours. And the second thing we kind of do with that is um, I want to make sure that our staff understands the price our laymen are paying because some of them, like you say, don't have that experience. And they need to understand the level of preparation they need to present for those lay folks when they come so that the lay folks are doing real ministry work and they're not doing a bunch of stuff to get ready for ministry, but they can come in and serve because for a lay person, when they serve, it is the, it is a spiritual lifeline to them and a spiritual strength to them. And so we have a lot of our staff guys that don't understand that or through the years, staff guys, because they were called into ministry, you know, young and went to Baptist college and went to seminary, which is all fine, but they come out and they just don't have that experience of balance. And sometimes when they work an evening or work a Saturday or late on a Sunday, they will um, have a struggle with that. Oh, I put in my... Or their wives will have a struggle with that. They will. I put in my 40 hours and I shouldn't have to work anymore. Well, as... As ministers, we are, in the best sense of this term, professionals, meaning we don't punch clocks. We're not on time clock. We do it until it's done and done with excellence. And it's important to understand that when I put in some extra hours, I'm only catching up to the amount of hours that a layperson is putting into that. And it gives a whole new understanding of what balance is and what it means. What it is is after 40 hours, now I'm where my laymen are 
And now I've got to model balance, encourage their balance, be sensitive to those things. I'm kicking into family time. They're kicking into family time. And it puts us in that same setting. And it requires me even more not to go too far beyond that family time, not to push them too far beyond that family time. Lay folks have a frustration with pastors who aren't working enough or don't understand that work. And sometimes lay folks assume pastors don't understand that, even if pastors do. And so it's important that we have a credibility issue, I think, with our lay folks as leaders, that we need to give them an understanding. We know where they are. We're working alongside them and also work for true balance, not go 65 hours a week, but one or two extra things and then shut it off. Make sure our lay folks are doing that. Make sure that everybody's got the appropriate amount of work and family and spiritual time. Well, I'll never forget when you told me, and I'm sure I was griping about, you know, you weren't home or whatever. And I'll never forget you telling me, I am not going to let, and then you named several guys who are, you know, have big jobs at work who also have big jobs at church. And I remember you saying, I'm sure not going to let them serve more as a volunteer than I'm serving as a professional. And so that's when you kind of explained to me, you know, I have a, a, a day job just like they do. And then there's ministry on top of that. So that was very helpful for me to kind of put that into context that I could wrap my mind around. Well, and that's a common experience, sweetheart, as, now as a senior pastor and bringing on young pastors on staffs and all as we've done through the years. That is something they have to learn. That is not an experience that a lot of them have if they've not worked in that life before, done lay work before they come in as ministers. And setting expectations is huge. One thing I'd encourage wives and husbands to do in ministry is to really set those expectations, have the conversations like the one you just described. Where does our perspective come from? Where are our boundaries going to be? What are the standards that we have? And set proper expectations. And so a lot of times they come in with an expectation that is not accurate, and that's where the frustration is. But if we align our expectations together and understand where our lay folks are and, and what that leadership model is for them, then it really helps us strike the balance, make good decisions, and, and be healthy in how we serve. Well, let's uh, move on to the next question I wanted to ask you about. How can ministry wives support their husbands? Because this is a different kind of job. Uh, you know, I couldn't really help you much when you were a lawyer. There wasn't much I could bring to that. <laughs> and you couldn't talk about a lot of what you were doing at work. Right. And if you did talk about it, I didn't understand what you were saying. Or back in the day when you were doing sexual harassment stuff, I did not want to hear anything about <laughs> your day at work. But it's different with ministry. How can wives be a support to their husbands? Well, I think that's a great question. And clearly when you read stats and you talk to pastors and you talk to pastors' wives and all of that, you really understand there's a lot of struggle in that. The first thing I'd say is most important is that the marriage be biblical and strong. So the best way you can support your husband is just being a biblical wife and helping him be a biblical husband. Because if we're walking with Jesus and we're striving to grow our marriage as a healthy marriage, that's the first line, strongest support that we can have. I think the next thing would be to recognize the burden 
that he feels because of the call to ministry. Now, when I say that, some ladies may go, oh, he's always using that as an excuse to work too much or do this or whatever. So I don't, I don't mean that in a way that we're letting him off the hook and he can use that as an excuse. What I mean is when you talk with him, when you're evaluating where he is and what's going on with him, when he's overbalanced and you're trying to bring him back into the family, it helps you to try to think through what it is he's dealing with so that you can know how to communicate to him better, how to connect with what's happening, how to share with him what he needs to do or what he needs to come back and balancing. And so the call to ministry, it is not something that makes us more spiritual or anything like that. In fact, Janet is far more spiritual and moved towards spiritual things as a natural expression of her personality than I am. I don't really think um, that's true. I think it's <laughs> I think it's very true. In fact, when we went home and told my parents I was answering a call to ministry, my mom immediately said, well, you're not cut out to be a pastor, Greg. You've missed God. You need to stay being a lawyer and <laughs> all that. I mean, so it's not natural for me. So what happens is what the call to ministry is, and someone best described it for me, and after having been in ministry for as long as we have, now I understand this. It is an anchor. So in times of struggle, I'm thinking, why am I going to do this? I'm going to throw up my hands and do something. It is an anchor that I know I was called. The other thing is, is it is a burden. I, people are dying and going to hell every day around us, and I have got to see our church doing something about it. I, I've got to do something about it. I can't, I can't just not do something. And so it is that, is that burden and that anchor that keeps us solid in ministry, connected to Jesus, and confirmed that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Well, that has an effect on us. That's why it's hard sometimes for guys to leave it at the office or there's always one more spiritual thing or there's always one more person in need. And that burden um, is is hard to carry at times. And so I think when you understand that he's not just choosing work, he's processing this calling and its effect on his perspective, it helps you know how to talk to him. It helps you know how to encourage him into the family time to get balanced, to sit down and rest, to eat more healthy, whatever it is. I think if you just have that perspective in your mind and you pay attention and watch him, it will help you effectively communicate to him better and, and more clear. And I think the other thing that's good is if you will engage with him with feedback, and Janet is is awesome at this, encourage hey, that was really good, or I, I really like how this feels. Or when you talk about a message or a strategy or something, you say, I'm not sure that we've found that yet. Or here's what I'm hearing in the congregation um, that would be helpful for us to know. When, when we're talking about ministry and giving feedback like that, and I'm, and I'm using the word feedback on purpose, what that makes me feel is you're in this with me, and so I feel good. I, I feel like we're in this together. I feel like we're a team. I feel like I'm connected to you and I'm working and wanting to stay more balanced. That feedback also is is positive encouragement. Even if it's times where you've told me uh, you, you can't say incredible 
47 times in one message. <laughs> you have to change and, that. And you are, you are getting better. <laughs> you're you're fiddling with the use of that word. <laughs> that's right. You're fiddling with your glasses all the time. You got to quit. Um, or, or more substantive things. Even when it's a, a critical critiquing type of thing I and mean, a growing, fix that, do that. The fact that we're getting feedback and we're doing that together is a blessing to me because I feel like we're in this together. And again, the most important thing that I need is we're in this together. And so those would be a couple of things that I think from the perspective of the husband's side of that may help wives as they see their husbands, as they're supporting them, finding ways to talk to them, that kind of thing. Well, I guess I should have interrupted you earlier, but I know when you're talking about the burden you feel, I I guess I didn't feel jealous when you were a lawyer. I knew it took a lot of time. I knew it was a lot of uh, complicated issues you were dealing with and, and all that. But when you move to ministry, sometimes it's hard to not feel jealous because, you know, not every meeting that you have at church is sharing the gospel with somebody. Sometimes it's strategy stuff or trying to uh, gently persuade them to another opinion or all right. the different kind of meetings you have. And, and I guess that's what's a struggle sometimes is is feeling guilty that we are jealous of the burden, which then prompts y'all to invest in other people and have more meetings and and talk to people more. Um, yeah, and I think that's, I, I get that feeling, and we've had to have those conversations and work through that. And that's why I say when a wife is getting a sense of that perspective, what her husband is dealing with, it is not, it, it's not carte blanche to not deal with conflict or deal with overworking or anything like that. Hopefully it helps in the perspective of how we talk about that, how I approach that with him, that kind of thing. Um, he's not just choosing that. There is something going on inside that he is processing that is a part of that call. And I'm not blaming it on the Lord for turning us into workaholics either. We're always processing that, working through that. So when you understand we're processing that and then you can help talk through it it, it is a lot easier to respond. I hear that more. It really equips me in my struggle to know that should not be an excuse to not be with our kids or to not be with our wife. When you're acknowledging that, when you're acknowledging that, and then you talk to me about it, well, that voice is really even that more, much more powerful for me in trying to respond and rebalance my time and all that. Mm-hmm. And I, Okay, so I'm going to skip ahead again to the last part you said about the feedback, because I I think early on, you know, you're very, God has gifted you with communication skills and speaking in front of a crowd has never been a struggle for you. So you're, you're good in the pulpit and people are always complimenting your sermons and complimenting your preaching and all that. And, and, uh, so I thought, well, there's no need for me to tell you you're good because everybody else in the world has already told you that. So I hate to use the word stingy, but I guess I was kind of stingy with my compliments. And one time you told me, but I don't care what they think. I only care what you think. <laughs> and that really, I never thought of that before because um, I thought, well, there's no need for me to continue to tell him the same stuff everybody else is telling him. But but you, I guess that was the first time I really understood that as part of being in it together, my opinion was important. And you wanted to know from me, regardless of what 
other people were saying. Well, that's right. I mean, you're the person that I trust most in the entire church. And so your voice is the most influential in my life and it should be. And so I care about it the most and it means the most to me. And I trust your spiritual life and wisdom and all of that when other people are trying to be encouraging to the pastor. I mean, I know what that means. They come up and go, oh, you did a great job today, or I enjoyed your sermon. They're just trying to say, thank you for being our pastor. We're glad you're here. They're trying to be encouraging. And so uh, there are times that people share things that are very meaningful, but a lot of times they're just being encouraging. And so you know that. And so it's it's good and it feels good and it's great. But like, is my wife dying <laughs> in my preaching? You know, is, is she drowning because I've totally missed what's going on in the church and I'm doing something else? So um, it's just so much more meaningful when there is an interchange. And that doesn't require the wife to go outside of her skill set to be involved in some ministry or something somewhere. It's that conversation that we are having together. It, it speaks to my heart. It gives me wisdom. It's a filter process that is valuable, and it lets me know we're, we're doing this together. And that is the most important confidence that I need. You mentioned that you trust me and that I am the most, and you've told me before, I'm the most influential person in the church because I have more influence over you than anybody else does. So let's talk about that for just a minute. But um, let me stop for just a moment and uh, say this message is brought to you by the Love Worth Finding Pastor Resources. Adrian Rogers loved pastors and had a heart for encouraging and training pastors. And so Love Worth Finding offers lots of material that will help pastors with sermon prep or discipleship. But there's a whole free online training course by Pastor Adrian Rogers called What Every Pastor ought to know. And that is, they also have that available in Espanol. So I will put the link to uh, those resources in today's show notes. But back to how uh, influential pastor's wives are. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, I want to encourage the ladies, the pastor's wives that are listening today. You, you are really a special person. I mean, you really are. You're special to your husband and you're special to the Lord. When he called your husband into ministry, he knew that you were going to be his wife and he equipped you and put you right there by his side. Whatever your skill sets are, whatever things you enjoy doing, you can be an upfront person and you want to teach women's ministry or you can sing in the choir or you can be a, uh, you're something of an introvert and you're more of a one-on-one person and you don't ever want to be on stage, you are still in all those roles. All of you are special because you are the support and the partner and the help me to that ministry and to that minister. And that makes you highly valuable. God has invested influence in you. And I don't think we elevate the role of pastors' wives and encourage them enough in that. And we try to do that with our staff wives how valuable they are and the influence that they have. And then that brings that to the point that you really are the most influential voice in the church. No one can elevate the pastor's confidence like you. No one can help shape his wisdom like you. No one can destroy his spirit like you. No one can bring him down or make him unconfident and flitch and afraid to make decisions like you. You are the one that is closest to him and influences him the most. One of the passages of scripture that we love and Janet 
has taught well in Proverbs 31. The scripture in there says, who can find a godly wife? Her value is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. That's a weird set of things to put together unless you understand how men are wired. The value of that wife is his heart trusts in her. She is the tool God uses to repair and grow his manhood and focus and ability and his male engine in life. And because of that, he's confident, he's clear, he's wise. It impacts in his life and work. He'll have no lack of gain. And so for a pastor's wife, that's a part of what you do, that heart of her husband safely trusts in her and it builds him up and it helps him be focused. You are the one who is best equipped to keep him in that lane between arrogance and confidence. He needs to be confident as a leader that he's heard God's voice and that he's making the right decision, even when it's difficult. He doesn't need to be arrogant and prideful and look at me and I'm the king and all this other stuff. And how exactly are we supposed to keep you in that way? (laughs) Well, and it's a balance. And you know, ladies know their husbands. God has equipped y'all with those relational skills and tools that you have. And so you watch that. And so Janet sort of keeps me down at times and uh, helps me understand where I haven't done this correctly or that needs to get better or whatever. And at the other times, she builds me up when she sees that I need to be encouraged and or affirms, hey, that you did that right. That's exactly the way to preach that. Nobody came down the aisle today, but God used that. And you keep us in that balance. It's an art, not a science. <laughs> and every guy's different and their marriages are different. But as you know him, you have the ability to keep him in that leadership lane where he's confident in what God is doing, but he is also dependent on God leading him and doing him in it. And um, and you're the best to do that. Well, where is the line that um, maybe I'm speaking too much in your pastor's ear? You know, what types of uh, conversations are are appropriate for me to influence you with? And and where's the line that I'm misusing my influence to be either bossy or override what God's leading you to do? Or how do we know where that line is? I think that's a great, that's a great question. And it's a, it's a wisdom that is developed over time. Uh, again, it's an art It's a spiritual art, not a science. So I think the first thing that you do is in your walk with the Lord, you be sensitive to the Holy Spirit on that, and you pray over those things. And I don't mean that in a sort of pastoral cliche way. I mean that because we really believe that the Holy Spirit guides us and gives us wisdom. James 1 really means it when he says pray for wisdom. And so I think that you um, that you really do have to be in your quiet time and you have to pray and ask the Lord for wisdom in that. The higher the stakes in the decision, the more danger there is in going too far. The more likely he's going to want your wisdom. I think the second thing is, is being opinionated about everything is difficult. Well, it probably dilutes your the power of your influence. It, it does, and it sort of causes most pastors to flinch back because everybody's got an opinion about what's going on, <laughs> you know. And so I think I think focusing on him rather than all the stuff is a good way to to evaluate that. What does he need? Where is he? What builds him up? What opinion provides wisdom to him? And you're in that role of of wife and not church member, and that's hard because you are a church member and you're attending. But I think you're thinking through in my role with him over the line if it's opinions all the time. I think the third thing I would say is there are sometimes you and I'll have conversations. I may come home after a 
master planning committee meeting or some kind of long financial committee. We're planning a budget or some other kind of thing. And I'm deep in the throes of where I am in the weeds of all this. And, you know, the conversation goes something like this. Well, how did it go? Well, it's fine. Whatever. We, that, you look like you're stressed about it. How did that go? Whatever. And so we get in a conversation about it and then, well, you should just do this or you should do this when it's a much bigger, deeper decision with a lot of tentacles in it. So I think the more, the more layers and the more tentacles in a decision, the more you want to ask questions that help him find wisdom rather than starting to render opinions about what he ought to do. Does that explain that where that makes sense? Yeah. Uh, I know what that feels like in my head. And, uh, and I think those are a couple of those things. Um, but again, I think the art of that and walking with the Lord and focusing on him really will give most wives that wisdom over time to find those lines. Okay. Now I want to talk about in very se- hard seasons of ministry and you did we, everything right, and you're awesome. <laughs> did I answer that correctly? Chicken. Chicken, chicken. <laughs> Wise. <laughs> you know, we there, there's lots of times in ministry that that's hard, and then sometimes they're really hard. Yep. And I know we walked through a very, very difficult season that I know I did not handle the best way. So, you know, in really difficult times, I know it was hard for me to exactly understand what you were going through. It was hard for you to talk about it. And I felt left out of a lot of stuff. But then later I realized, okay, this was way more complex and way more uh, fraught with peril than I realized. And, you know, what could I have done better <laughs> through <laughs> through that kind of a season? You know, because there's, there's pastors, families all over that are, you know, feeling uh, pressured out of a job or feeling pressured to do a certain thing to keep certain people in their church happy or to keep their job or, you know, just Lots of lots of difficult. There are ministries when, when you get to yeah. the really, really serious, difficult stuff. Yeah, people say all the time something like ministry is messy, and yeah, it is. That's a normal day. There are yeah. other days it's gut wrenching. And mm-hmm. um, here's the first thing I would say. And again, now we're have been around some turns and twists in life, so we have some of those experiences that are really, really difficult. Uh, the first thing I would say to pastors' wives and communicate this with your husband and y'all work through this together is you got to give yourself grace because nobody bats a thousand in the middle of a crisis. Just, it just doesn't happen. And we were built to live through the garden of Eden, not all this. And so we are not equipped. We don't do it well. Nobody bats a thousand. And so we're going to have stress. We're going to have overreactions. We're going to have like moments that we had in the foxhole from each other and all that stuff. And you have to have the grace to allow forgiveness, allow mistakes so that that doesn't create barriers that pushes you farther apart. You have to allow the grace of that so that you can work through that and keep coming together and just realize that when you're in a gut-wrenching crisis deal, it's just way hard and and you're not going to bat a thousand, neither one of you. And there's got to be grace in that. Um, I think the second thing is listening to each other's experiences. Like I, I know in some of those conversations, I didn't, I wasn't quick enough in learning how difficult the experience was on you. Just like you were saying, you, you weren't 
seeing all the experiences on me. And I think we have to learn to talk about this is what I'm experiencing so that we are bringing each other into our lives and hearts in that moment rather than you didn't do this or you did this and we're reacting to the intense difficulty of this moment by by allowing motions to come across as striking out or hiding or blaming or whatever kind of a deal the nature of a really gut-wrenching difficult circumstance is it is that and we need each other more than ever so i think it's it's helping work through even in emotional type conversations. I need to listen to the other one. I need to know what their experience is. I need to get that so I can understand how we come together and how we bond through this and how we work through this. And I think that is really important. Um, every one of these hard situations can be different, but the nature of them is that they're hard. And so they're going to affect each of us. We're both going to go through them and we're both going to have deep experiences because of that. And so we have to learn, what do I help them with? How do I alleviate this? How do I respond better? How do I communicate so we're coming together in this? And it's important that I sit in their seat and hear how this is affecting them so that I can know how to do that. Otherwise, what's going to happen is, you know, what's supposed to happen in marriage is dying on the cross, husband, wife, giving herself and everything. They're both sacrificing, so they're both coming together. Dying on the cross is setting aside my deal and trying to listen to your experience. And you're giving yourself and everything to me is you setting aside your needs and trying to listen to my experience. Well, we're both coming together and we're communicating better and we're each learning how to minister to the other one better. And we're both feeling like the other one is listening to us better. And we got to really grit your teeth and work harder at that in the midst of those difficult circumstances. Um, and then I think the other thing is what I said before, never take for granted building your marriage, being solid because you don't build it in those gut wrenching times. Mm, it carries you. Yeah. Yeah. It carries you. It's the foundation that allows you to get through that. And praise the Lord, we have that kind of marriage and we do get through those things together. Um, even with difficult journeys. And so I think that you're always keeping in mind. Okay. Um, I think it's funny that all of your answers have three points. <laughs> <laughs> I've become a preacher. I, <laughs> I can I put know. a poem at the end of it if no. you want me to. No, no, let's not do that. Okay. I want one, uh, just one final question. Um, okay. Wives should always be praying for their husbands. Yes. Um, what should pastor wives, you know, ministry wives be praying for their minister husbands, specifically relating to ministry beyond what the, we might normally pray for our husbands? That is a great, great question. All of my questions are great. So They are fabulous. <laughs> I told everybody, you're the most spiritual person that I know. You're much better at this than me. Um, I think there are a couple of things that... Um, I'll try to make it not three. Is it two or four? Is that okay? Just, so it's just not quickly. three. Just quickly. <laughs> Number one, praying for wisdom in balancing family and ministry, praying for wisdom in understanding the call of ministry and how that tugs against, you know, I need to do this, but I need to be with the kids or I need to be with my wife. Um, I think that wisdom is important. We've lived long enough now. Our kids are grown. When I was young, old guys used to tell me, you'll never regret the amount of time that you spend with your children when you're older. You will regret the amount of time you did not spend with them 
and I've now discovered and I'm living the truth of that is really true. I mean, we spend a lot of time with them, but I regret even more times that we didn't. And so I, that wisdom, you're praying for him as he is sorting through that in his life, that God will speak to him and guide that and give him openness to hear your voice in that. I think the second thing when I, um, when I speak to deacons and a lot of groups, I talk to them about praying for their pastor and I'd encourage, um, the ladies to read second Corinthians chapter one in a nutshell, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about the terrible situation that we were in. We were afraid for our lives. In fact, we just knew we were going to die. And we were resolved with the fact that that's okay because God raises from the dead will be in heaven. And then he says, we were removed and saved from that circumstances because of the prayers of the church. So go, go read that. You can see it's real simple in there, but there's a couple of things in there. I think that you need to pray for your husband. Number one, you need to pray for his protection. Paul makes it very clear that he was in danger and wanted the church to know that and know that their prayers for his protection were answered. You need to pray for his spirit. Just read for a few minutes where it says we had given up all hope of life and we knew we were going to die. Nobody told me when I became a pastor that the pastor's office is the place where dreams go to die. And your husband is dealing with that. He has a drawer full of ideas that he can't get the church to do. And there are so many visionary things that we want to do and we can't do. There are times we get attacked. There are times that people leave the church that shouldn't have left the church. And we were friends and they got mad about some petty thing and they left. And that is a burden to our spirit. And you need to pray for his spirit to be encouraged. And then Paul says at the end of that, but we were okay because we knew that God raises from the dead. And our spirit was safe through that because we were confident, hey, we're going to die, but I'm going to wake up with Jesus tomorrow. You need to pray that your husband ministers from a confidence in the power of a God who raises from the dead. That's the most important thing that a pastor ever brings to anything. We're not more spiritual than anybody. We're not smarter than anybody else. We're not more creative than anybody else. Dr. Rogers told me one time, Greg, you're going to have people smarter, more experienced. They're wiser. But Pastor Rogers said this, Greg, it's, it's on you whether people are closer to Jesus than you or not. Hmm. And so we need to be close enough to Jesus that we believe God raises from the dead and we serve the God who raises from the dead. And he can do anything because he is the God who raises from the dead. And we're going to go tomorrow and we're going to do that because God raises from the dead. And you need to pray for that for your husband. I'm telling everybody else to pray that for your pastor. You need to pray that for your husband too. And I think those things right there, God will speak to you in your quiet time and add details as it relates to your circumstances and your husband. Okay. Well, that was really good. It was not brief, but it was really, but it was really good. Well, it was four. Good. It wasn't three. <laughs> I had to make it not three. I know. I know. <laughs> well, I think this is, um, you've given us a lot of good stuff to, to, talk about and think about and pray about. And ladies, I just want to encourage you, you know, listen to this, maybe even listen to it with your husband or call a, a friend who's a another ministry wife and say, hey, we need to listen to this together and let's just talk through some of these things. I, I'm already feeling convicted about several things that I think uh, I need to do better, especially as you a, are as a perfect and vibe. awesome. Well, I, I am not. <laughs> I am not. But um, so anyway, I hope uh, y'all have found this discussion to be helpful. He said some things I did not know he was going to say. <laughs> you know, these are this, this is a reality of being in a ministry marriage because it's not just you and your husband and your children and your in-laws. You know, you've got church people and you've got committee people and you've got 
sick people and you've got lost people and you've got needs and needs and needs. And, you know, there are times when they are part of your marriage as well. And so it's kind of hard to figure out how to be married in the midst of all that need sometimes. Well, I just want to say, ladies, thank you for who you are and what you do. Uh, I know that Jesus is working in your life, and I know that you are an encouragement to your husband and your church, and I just want to thank you for being faithful as a ministry wife. Well, I will echo that, and uh, I will just say what I always say when we close as ladies. Until next time, let's keep loving Jesus, loving our husbands, even more our husbands, and loving our people.